0: part one chapter eight of the tree of heaven by mason clare this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one peace chapter eight anthony had begun to wonder where on earth he should send maury out to this time when the boer war came and solved his problem maurice joyous and adventurous again sent himself to south africa to enlist in the Imperial Light Horse. Ferdy Cameron went out also with the second Gordon Highlanders, solving perhaps another problem. "'It's no use trying to be sorry, Mummy," Dorothy said. Francis knew what Anthony was thinking, and Anthony knew it was what Francis herself thought, supposing this time Maury didn't come back. Then that problem would be solved forever. Francis hated problems when they worried Anthony. Anthony detested problems when they bothered Francis.' and the children knew what they were thinking. Dorothy went on. It's all rot pretending that we want him to come back. It was jolly decent of him to enlist, said Nicky. Dorothy admitted that it was jolly decent, but, she said, what else could he do? His only chance was to go away and do something so jolly plucky that we're ashamed of ourselves and never to come back again to spoil it. You don't want him to spoil it, mummy ducky, do you? Anthony and Francis tried, conscientiously and patriotically, to realize the Boer War. They said it was terrible to have it hanging over them morning, noon, and night. But it didn't really hang over them. It hung over a country that, except once when it had conveniently swallowed up Mori, they had never thought about and could not care for, a landscape that they could not see. The war was not even part of that landscape. It refused to move over it in any traceable course. It simply hung or lay as one photographic film might lie upon another it was not their fault they tried to see it they bought the special editions of the evening papers they read the military dispatches and the stories of the war correspondence from beginning to end they stared blankly at the printed columns that recorded the disasters of nicholson's neck and colin so and spy on cop but the forms were grey and insubstantial it was all flat and grey like the pictures in the illustrated papers the very blood of it ran grey it wasn't real for frances the brown walls of the house the open wings of its white shutters the green garden and the tree of heaven were real so were jack straw's castle and harrow on the hill morning and noon and night were real and getting up and dressing and going to bed most real of all the sight and sound and touch of her husband and her children Only now and then the vision grew solid and stood firm. Frances carried about with her distinct images of Maurice to which she could attach the rest. Thus she had an image of Long Tom, an immense slender muzzle, tilted up over a high ridge, nosing out Maurice. Maurice was shut up in Ladysmith. Don't worry, Mummy. That'll keep him out of mischief. Daddy said he ought to be shut up somewhere. He's starving, Dorothy. He won't have anything to eat or drink ducky oh you're cruel don't be cruel i'm not cruel if i didn't care so awfully for you mummy i shouldn't mind whether he came back or didn't you're cruel you ought to think of granny and auntie louie and auntie emmy and auntie edie at the moment said frances i am thinking of uncle morrie she was thinking of him not as he actually was but as he had been as a big boy like michael as a little boy like john two years younger than she A little boy by turns spoiled and thwarted, who contrived nevertheless to get most things that he happened to want by crying for them, though everybody else went without. And in the grown-up Maury's place, under the shells of Ladysmith, she saw Nicky. For Nicky had declared his intention of going into the army. And I'm thinking of Maury, Dorothy said. I don't want him to miss it francis and anthony had hung out flags for mafeking dorothy and nicky mounted on bicycles had been careering through the high street with flags flying from their handlebars michael was a pro boer and flew no flags all these things irritated maurice he had come back again he had missed it as he had missed all the chances that were ever given him a slight wound kept him in hospital throughout the greater part of the siege and he had missed the sortie of his squadron and the taking of the guns for which ferdy cameron got his promotion and his d s o he had come back in the middle of the war with nothing but a bullet wound in his left leg to prove that he had taken part in it the part he had taken had not sobered maurice it had only depressed him and depression after prolonged brutal abstinence broke down the sheer strength by which sometimes he stretched a period of sobriety beyond its natural limits for there were two kinds of drinking great drinking that came seldom and was the only thing that counted, and ordinary drinking that, though it went on most of the time, brought no satisfaction and didn't count at all. And there were two states of drunkenness to correspond, one intense and vivid, without memory, transcending all other states, and one that was no more remarkable than any other. Before the war, Maury's great drinking came seldom, by fits and bursts and splendid, unlasting uprushes after the war the two states tended to approach till they merged in one continual sickly soaking and while other important and outstanding things and things that he really wanted to remember disappeared in the poisonous flood let loose in maury's memory he never for one moment lost sight of the fact that it was he and not anthony his brother-in-law who had enlisted and was wounded he was furious with his mother and sisters for not realizing the war he was furious with Francis and Anthony. Not realizing the war meant not realizing what he had been through. He swore by some queer god of his that he would make them realize it. The least they could do for him was to listen to what he had to say. You people here don't know what war is. You think it's all glory and pluck and dashing out and blowing up the enemy's guns and the British flag flying and wounded pipers piping all the time and not carrying a damn nobody caring a damn. And it isn't. It's dirt and funk and stinks and more funk all the time. It's lying out all night on the beastly veldt and going to sleep and getting frozen and waking up and finding you've got warm again because your neighbour's inside's been fired out on the top of you. You get wounded when the stretcher-bearers aren't anywhere about. And you crawl over to the next poor devil and lie back to back with him to keep warm. And just when you've dropped off to sleep, you wake up shivering because he's died of a wound he didn't know he'd got. You'll find a chap lying on his back all nice and comfy and when you start to pick him up you can't lift him because his head's glued to the ground. You try a bit gently and the flesh gives way like rotten fruit and the bone like a cup you've broken and stuck together without any secotine and you heave up a body with half a head on it and all the brains are in the other half, the one that's glued down. That's war. Huh. He threw out his breath with a jerk of contempt. It seemed to him that neither Francis nor Anthony was listening to him. They were not looking at him. They didn't want to listen. They didn't want to look at him. He couldn't touch them. He couldn't evoke one single clear image in their minds. There was no horror he could name that would sting them to vision, to realization. They had not been there. Dorothy and Michael and Nicky were listening. The three kids had imagination. They could take it in. They stared as if he had brought those horrors into the room. But even they missed the reality of it. They saw everything he meant them to see except him. It was as if they were in the conspiracy to keep him out of it. He glared at Francis and Anthony. What was the good of telling them, of trying to make them realize it? If they'd only given some sign, made some noise or some gesture, or looked at him, he might have spared them but the stiff, averted faces of Francis and Anthony annoyed him. And if you're a poor, wretched Tommy like me, you'll have to sweat in a brutal sun, hauling up cases of fizz from the railway up country to headquarters with a thirst on you that frizzles your throat. You see the stuff shining and spluttering and you go mad. You could kill the man if you were to see him drink it, when you know there's nothing for you but a bucket of green water with typhoid germs swimming about in it. That's war! You think you're lucky if you're wounded and get bumped down in a bullock wagon thirty miles to the base hospital. But the best thing you can do then is to pop off. For if you get better, they make you hospital orderly. And the hospital orderly has to clean up all the muck of the butcher's shop from morning to night. When you're so sick you can't stand, you get your supper, dry bread and bully beef. The bully beef reminds you of things, and the bread, well, the bread's all nice and white on the top. But when you turn it over on the other side it's red that's war francis looked at him he thought at last she's turned at last i've touched her she can realize that maury dear it must have been awful she said it's too awful i don't mind your telling me and anthony about it but i'd rather you did it when the children aren't in the room is that all you think about the children the children you don't care a tinker's cuss about the war you don't care a damn what happens to me or anybody else what does it matter who's wounded or who's killed as long as it isn't one of your own kids i'm simply trying to tell you what war is it's dirt and stink and funk that's all it is and there's precious little glory in it nicky if the boers won there would be glory michael said not even if the boers won said maurice certainly not if the boers won said anthony He'll say next there'd be no glory if there was war between England and Ireland and the Irish won, and yet there would be glory. Would there? Go and read history and don't talk rot. I have read it, said Michael. Francis thought, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Why should he? He's barely thirteen. I can't think where he gets these ideas from, but he'll grow out of them. It was not Maurice that she saw in Maurice's war pictures, but he had made them realize what war was and they vowed that as long as they lived, not one of their sons should have anything to do with it. In the spring of nineteen one, Anthony sent Maurice out to California. The Boer War was ended. Another year, and the vision of war passed from Francis as if it had never been. End of Part 1, Chapter 8 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine